0: Open in God's words with us this morning to the book of Acts. Someday we'll have to do the book of Exodus. (laughs) Now, I don't recognize whose kid that is, but whosoever it is, I'm sure they don't want us to hear that, but it's music to my ears. (laughs) Last Sunday, we... Went through the entire chapter of Acts 7, all 60 verses. Now, who thought that I wouldn't go back to that and spend more time in that? You know I can't do 70 verses in one Sunday and let it go. No way. We want to spend a few more minutes looking at Stephen's sermon that he is preaching to the Sanhedrin in defense of the faith. Last week we looked and and if you had done your homework from a few weeks before that, we told you to read Acts 7 before you got here. And if you did that, as you were looking at it, you say, okay, well, we've got the history of the Jewish people here. And one of my points last week was that It was not the point of Sermon's message to give us a history lesson of the Jewish people. Pastors frequently will preach a sermon, and people miss the point of what he's preaching, and that frustrates pastors, but then it challenges us to be better communicators, I guess. But Stephen's point, what he was trying to preach, was that God meets you where you're at. In verses in chapter 7, verses 2 through 8, he was talking about Abraham. And he's he said, in the, the land of Haran and Ur, the Chaldees, as he was coming westward towards Jerusalem. God was with him. And, and what he's trying to tell the Sanhedrin and teach the Sanhedrin here is that God does not dwell in this temple. You, you, they they had, had taken the faith and and Kind of mummified it. They, they, they said this is where we worship and this is what we are about. We, we worship here and you can't worship anywhere else. And Stephen wants them to understand that, that where God is, where you are, you can worship God. It doesn't have to be in the tabernacle. It doesn't have to be in a certain location. Then we looked at, at uh, the next verses, 9 through 18. Was Stephen was telling about Joseph. And in verse nine of chapter seven, there it says the patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. And yet God was with him. God was with him when he was now. We see that he was. God was in Mesopotamia. Now we see that God is with Joseph in Egypt. And then he went on to talk about Moses. And Moses was on the backside of the desert, down in Egypt, over in Midian, watching some sheep there was a burning bush and God told Moses to take off his sandals because the ground he was standing on was holy ground. And the Sanhedrin didn't want to hear that because that meant that there was holy ground not in the Holy Land. And that, that defeated their purpose of saying, no, you've got to do it our way right here. And Stephen is saying, no, God is with you wherever you go. The promise that we have that God will never leave us or forsake us. Stephen isn't using that scripture or that quote here, but that's what he's telling them. Where you go, God will be with you. And then we got down to uh, verses 46 through 50. David and Solomon, and David is, Saul was chasing him all over the, the land there. David didn't dare go to Jerusalem to worship. But God met David where he was at. If it was in the caves or if it was on the run, God was there to meet David. And Solomon is, as we uh, is verse uh, chapter seven, verse forty-nine. He's quoting from Isaiah: "Heaven is my throne; the earth is my footstool. Of my feet, what kind of house will you build for me?" says the Lord. "Or what place is there for my repose?" Was it not my hand which made all of these things? We can't contain God into something that God made. In Solomon, we looked at some verses in Second Chronicles. And Solomon says, Although I'm building this beautiful temple for the Lord, He cannot be contained here. We will come here to worship Him, but God is not confined to this temple. There's no building that we can build that's going to... Okay. Okay. You guys are going to get sick of hearing this one, but we talked, and I know we have several visitors today, that several weeks ago, well, this happened last November, I believe, and it was reported in the news in April sometime, that they stopped the Hubble telescope for about three and a half hours. And it photographed, while it was stationary, it photographed 120 new galaxies that they didn't even know existed. Our God created each and every one of those Our God is awesome, and he is big and amazing. How can we contain him to a little temple in Jerusalem? But that's what the Sanhedrin were doing. That was their religion. They were worshiping the idea and the place rather than the one who had created everything, that had created the whole universe. As a pastor, we we want to remind you and remember that the the main thing is that the main thing needs to stay the main thing. And what is the main thing here? God is with you wherever you go. He is not confined to a location. Wherever God is, and, and, and Moses found this out when God told him to take his sandals off, wherever God is, is holy. Where he is is holy. The Sanhedrin and the council weren't so concerned about that. We had two statements the last few weeks that we've been trying to remember that Jesus is the fulfillment of the he is the fulfillment of the temple, and he is the fulfillment of the, the law. John Calvin said, No harm can be done to the temple and the law when Christ is openly established as the ends and the truth of both. God fulfilled the law. They didn't need to offer all those sacrifices anymore because the perfect lamb was sacrificed once and all once and for all for all of our sins as we sang all of our sins were laid on him he became sin for us he took our place that was one of our verses earlier in, in chapter 6 talking about that the high priests were coming to salvation in Jesus Christ and and what a what a big moment that was or what a big move or a shift for for several hundred even thousand years they've been offering sacrifices on the altar But when they came to the realization that Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice, those offerings on the altar meant nothing. They were useless, worthless, a waste of time. Because Jesus Christ had fulfilled that requirement. In his book on Acts, John Stott says... That the Sanhedrin were unwilling to listen to Stephen's testimony to the exaltation of Jesus. The council both covered their ears and sought to drown out his voice by yelling. Worse, they were determined to silence him. And I picked, when I was reading that, I picked that up right off the bat. They were unwilling to listen to Stephen's testimony to the exaltation of Jesus. And we were looking earlier in Acts, we we're looking at some of Satan's tools and how he tries to use those tools to destroy the church. There was the, the hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira. There was the infighting and the angry over the, between the Hellenistic Jews and the, the Hebrew Jews over the serving of the widows. And some were being left out. And he was trying to split the church that way. What do we say is the greatest thing that Satan hates is when we exalt the name of Jesus? Because that is the Jesus, that is the name that sent Satan down to defeat. And so to exalt Jesus is just to continue to rub salt in the wounds of Satan and and hear the Sanhedrin's testimony. Of Stephen in his exaltation of Jesus Christ. They didn't want to hear it. They got angry. They were furious because Stephen would not stop proclaiming Jesus Christ as the apostles hadn't. First of all, Peter and John, when they healed healed the lame man in the temple, they threw them in jail and said, Next day is Get out of here. Don't talk about that anymore. The next time they had to come back, they had to put all the apostles in jail. And this time, not only did they tell them not to talk about Jesus, but they beat them. Some of them probably to close to death. And now Stephen is here again proclaiming Jesus. And they want to go, eh, like a bunch of you know third graders or second graders. Sorry, third graders. I shouldn't insult you, but... They, they were childish. I mean, it was if, if it wasn't so evil, we would say it was childish. They covered their ears. They didn't want to hear. They didn't want to hear the truth. Because Stephen was exalting the name of Jesus. And Satan doesn't like that. And guess what? The Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were Satan's tools. Now some, some commentators say, well go to Slack that's all they would known for thousands of years and you want them to turn on a dime? Well yeah, because for thousands of years they were being told that Messiah was coming and when he came they didn't recognize him. That's their own fault. No, I don't feel sorry for them. They were tools in the hands of Satan trying to stomp out the church. Not wanting the name of Jesus to be exalted Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 10. Keep your finger in Acts because we're going to flip back and forth a little bit between these two just for a minute. Matthew 10. Matthew 10.24. We we touched briefly on this last week. Acts 7. Verse 55, but being full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Matthew 10. 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become as his teacher and the slave as his master. If they have called the head of the house house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. What I darkness t- speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Therefore, do not fear, you are of more value than many sparrows. Pay particular attention to the next two verses. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Acts 7.55, being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Because Stephen was being faithful and declaring God before men. Jesus Christ stood to declare Stephen to the Father. We don't know. It's not recorded exactly the words that Jesus used To declare unto the Father, but something like, Father, here is a good and faithful servant. And if we, you and I, will not tell our neighbors about Jesus, He is not going to stand and present us to the Father. Not my words, God's words. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Let that one sink in. We have a duty, a responsibility. It's part of our obedience. That's how we show the Father that we love him. We obey him. We, we do what his word tells us to do. And the one thing he tells us to do is to proclaim Jesus Christ before all men. Turn again, go back to Acts now. And Stephen said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And this is where they'd had enough. They cried with a loud voice, covered their ears, and they rushed upon him with one impulse. The vision that Stephen saw juiced him up. Okay? It invigorated him. It gave him energy. Can you imagine? (laughs) Being able to look into heaven from here and to see Jesus? Power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is something, but this had to give him some energy too. Some boldness. To preach the word. To not, not be concerned about what the Sanhedrin could do to him. The council is even more angry. You don't need to turn. Well, you can if you want, but I'm going to start reading quickly in Second Kings. Okay, as quickly as I can find it because I lost my marker. Second <laughs> Kings chapter 6. Syrians are attacking. Elisha's servant is concerned. 2 Kings 6.15, Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. Elisha's servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those that are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw and beheld the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha. Had already seen, but the servant now saw that God was present to protect them and watch over them. And as we were just reading in Matthew, although they may kill this body, they cannot kill our soul. And I would much rather fear the one who has the authority over my soul than those that might do something to this body. Elisha said, open your eyes. Lord, open his eyes. Father, open our eyes that we might see you. Back to Acts. I want to read a, a, a short story. I'm, I'm not good at telling stories, so it's better that I read them. Because I always wreck the punchline. After a remarkable season of emphasis on missions, the Austin Stone Community Church, which is in Austin, Texas, eventually sent more than 100 people overseas with the goal of evangelizing unreached people groups. One of the travelers was a young man named Ronnie Smith. Ronnie looked like many young leaders in the local church. He was young, bright, funny, and passionate about following Jesus. He was also gifted. But though he received offers to take leadership positions at other churches, Ronnie and his bride determined to go all the way to dangerous Benghazi, Libya, to make the gospel known. Later in a conversation between Ronnie and a pastor friend, Ronnie was asked whether he thought things had escalated in that country to the point that it was too dangerous for him to remain in Libya. To this, Ronnie replied, It feels to be home. There is literally no other place on earth that we would rather be. Nowhere. The pastor soon described what happened after that discussion. A black jeep encircled Ronnie several times as he was on his daily jog in his neighborhood in Benghazi, Libya. The two Libyans in the jeep pulled up and stopped the car nearby. Is that the American, they said? The man smoking and waiting in the car said, yes, he lives here and he's a good man. Rani had lived in Benghazi for nearly a year, teaching science to Libyan high school students. He loved working in education as it gave him the opportunity to pour into the lives and aspirations of Libya's next generation. The black jeep circled back to Ronnie. A quick word was exchanged, and then the Libyan men emptied six bullets into Ronnie's chest, killing him instantly. Ronnie's wife and two-year-old son had returned two weeks before to the U.S.A., For their Christmas holiday, Ronnie died on December 5th, 2013, one week before he was to join them. Many in the media wondered why a guy like Ronnie would move to a hostile Libya in the first place, but all of heaven knew exactly why he did it. Ronnie Smith was following Jesus. Like Stephen, Ronnie didn't get out to set out to be a martyr. He set out to be like Jesus, but someone excuse me, but sometimes Christ-like living leads to Christ-like dying. Suffering will sometimes be inevitable as we determine to follow Jesus in the work he desires that we do. but the great news is that the King's mission is unstoppable. Jesus is building his church and neither bullets nor rocks can prevail against it. May God grant us grace to follow Jesus faithfully until we, like Stephen and Ronnie, fall asleep. In the moment we open our eyes to see the glorified Savior, we will know that living for Jesus is worth more than any sacrifice. For Stephen's death... To Stephen, it meant coronation. He was home. That Jesus that he could see standing at the right end of the Father, he was immediately with him. For the nation of Israel, Stephen's death meant condemnation, meant judgment. They had allowed John the Baptist to be beheaded. They shouted for Christ to be killed, crucified, And here they didn't even wait for the Romans who had the death penalty authority. They didn't even involve them. They just took him out and murdered him. For the church in Jerusalem, Stephen's death meant liberation. As as we will begin to look next week in chapter 8, because of the persecution, the church scattered. It spread out. One of God's tools and methods and use to scatter and get the word out more is persecution. That's why the church in Myanmar and the church in China are praying that God would bring persecution to the United States of America to purge the church so that people would take a stand that it would mean something it would be worth something as Ronnie Smith learned and as Stephen learned to die is gain to be with Christ and our Heavenly Father in eternity is gain but while we're here we need to live like Christ did, so that those around us would know, that we would share, that we would tell, that we would look for opportunities to share Jesus. For Saul, Stephen's death would shortly in a few days mean salvation. Saul was there that day and cheered it on, encouraged it thought it was the right thing to do. No matter how right we are, or think we are, we need to focus our decisions on what we do, what we say, how we live, on God's Word. And Stephen is praying as they're throwing the stones, the rocks, to murder him This is verse 59 they went on stoning Stephen and as he called upon the Lord he said Lord Jesus receive my spirit If you look back just a couple pages at the end of chapter 6 verse 15 they were fixing their gaze on him all who were sitting in the council they saw his face like the face of an angel Galatians 5.22, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, forgiveness, self-control. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, and that is why he could have a glow on his face. That is why, at the as, as he is being killed, he prays first for himself. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I mean, he's already seen Jesus standing at the right hand declaring him to the Father. There's no doubt he knows where he's going. Falling on his knees, he cried out with his loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. They, they had hired people to perjure themselves and to tell lies that he had blasphemed against God, that he had blasphemed against the temple. That he finds it, and I would say in the goodness of his heart, but his heart was the way it was because of the Holy Spirit. Lord, don't put this on their account. Don't charge them with what they're doing to me now. He understood, and, and as it says at the end of Uh, Of chapter 7, the end of verse 60. And having said this, he fell asleep. The fear of death is gone. If you know Jesus Christ, you don't need to fear death. It's as we fall asleep and we'll wake up in glory. Death, death is, is but sleep. We don't need to fear it. We, we have joy. We have hope. We have salvation in Jesus Christ. So those that can do anything to this body, it's just a shell. And uh, when, when Jill's body... Was laying here for the funeral. Put, brought me back to, to my mom's funeral about 15, 16 years ago. You look in the casket and it doesn't even look like them. And I was just talking to Chris Bolio. I said, don't, don't take it wrong. I'm not insulting the job that you guys did preparing her for the ceremony. I said, But that doesn't look anything like Jill. Because she wasn't there. It's just a shell. Someday in the resurrection, they'll be united back together. But it was just, yeah, I, just I just remember that day, my, my daughter said, Dad, come, come, let's look at Grandma. I said, no, I really don't want to, really don't care to. She said, come on. She'll, she said, you'll regret if you don't. So I did, and I went up, and I was like, man, didn't even look close to my mom. Because she was already home. To, to those that love Jesus, we should look forward to death. I, I look forward to going home. I'm not going to go sit on the railroad tracks or play in the you know middle of the road or anything stupid like that. But I look forward to the day that God calls me home. Just to fall asleep here and to wake up there. How cool will that be for eternity? Next week we'll begin looking. Saul comes into the the picture to take up the story where Stephen, I'd say he ended, Stephen Stephen didn't end it though. Where the Sanhedrin ended Stephen's story. We're going to look at Saul. And we, we, so far we've, we've seen a lot of Peter and John in the first part of Acts and, and now we're going to begin transitioning to Saul to Paul and then we'll begin to look at the, the missionary journeys as we go on into the, into the rest of Acts. But as we get into the rest of Acts there will be re- periodic references through it that are going to bring us back to this story and remind us of Stephen's Proclaiming Jesus before people, and in turn, Jesus proclaiming Stephen to the Father. Something for us to look forward to. Father, what a glorious picture. Thank you for Stephen's testimony. Thank you for his boldness for Jesus Christ. Thank you for Ronnie Smith's example. That he wanted to live and do what you wanted him to do, not what other people thought was best for him. Father, help us to live that way. Help us to to focus our eyes on you, not worry about what those people around us say, but to focus our eyes and our lives on you. Thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, memorial.